Nope. Your ears are not deceiving you. You are not listening to an old episode. You are listening to the original Disc Golf Anchorman intro music, back by popular demand. Let's go. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of the Disc Golf Anchorman. I am Bobby Cool, Daddy Slick Breeze, and I hope you are as excited as I am that I brought back the original Disc Golf Anchorman intro music. I was going through uh, Facebook the other day, and I came across a poll that I had put out on the Facebook group. You can find it on Facebook. Just search Disc Golf Anchorman Podcast. And I saw a poll that I'd forgotten all about that I asked people, do you want me to bring back the original intro? And the majority of people said, yes, they want the original intro back. So there you have it, folks. We are back to the original intro music. So I hope you enjoy that. On this episode, I have Scott Withers. He joins me from Austin. He had just done a practice round and he's ready, getting ready for the open at Austin. So, But I thought I'd have him on to kind of talk about Waco uh, the event at Waco, talk about the uh, courses, the course out at the Open at Austin, a little talk a little bit about class discs, what he's throwing, and then answer some of your disc golf questions that you sent in. The question form is back open, so you can find that at discgolfanswerman.com. Also, I have started back up the Patreon because a lot of people ask you, they want to be able to support the show uh, financially, so you can do that. Go to patreon.com slash DGAM, and I have some new tiers out there, one of which includes your, your name will be entered to win some discs. And uh, of course, those would be class discs because that's who's helping me out as far as discs and whose brand I'm helping grow here in the United States. So I know this is a long intro, but I appreciate giving out all this information so you guys are well informed. So let's now let's jump into the show with Scott Withers. How are you doing today, Scott? I'm doing well. I'm in Austin getting ready for Elite Series event number three of the year. So doing well. <laughs> what, elite Series number three. So they've kind of been feeling like they have been kind of back to back, huh? Yeah. I mean, last week and this week, but thankfully they were only like an hour and a half or two hours apart. So the drive was pretty short on Monday Nice to get down here. So the travel wasn't, wasn't too bad, but yeah, totally different course, totally yeah. different style this week. Just not almost like not even the same sport. Well, real quick before, let's get to, I know I'm sure a lot of my audience already knows who you are, but just quickly tell us kind of the elevator pitch of who Scott Withers is and what he's been in disc golf and what he got going on now. Sure. So if I don't know you, haven't met you, I'm Scott Withers, obviously with uh, Clash Discs and Resistance Discs and Grip for this year sponsor-wise, but who I am is uh, I am from the Pacific Northwest. I grew up in Oregon, currently live about an hour south of Portland. Been playing disc golf professionally since about 2009 when I joined the PDGA. Got a funny story with that. I never played any AM tournaments. I have a total of zero career amateur tournaments. I came from a real small town and uh, was one of the better players in that small town and didn't know any better. So I went and played pro and uh, donated my money for a few years. And <laughs> Did you not know just, that you could play amateur? Or? No, I think I knew I could, but I didn't know that I should. Um, <laughs> I had no clue. My first rating was like 992. Oh, okay. um, and then it took a little dive after that because I played like one tournament and played decently well and I like cashed. And yeah, it took me a while, <laughs> grinded. Yeah. Um, I've played a lot of tournaments. I think I'm over like 300 career tournaments. Um, 
And most of those being in the Northwest because I was working full-time up until last year um, and flying to a handful of pro tour events, NTs, majors, whatever you want to call what the previous set was. And then uh, now obviously doing disc golf full-time. It looks like, oh, there we go. Now you're back. You're back. Yeah. Uh, um, so that's okay. So interesting. I didn't know that about you as far as jumping right into pro. Yeah. What are, what are, what would you say are some of the things that you wish or that you're thinking back, you think, oh, uh, that would have been good to learn in playing amateur before jumping right into pro. Um, so I played non-sanctioned wise for a while. So like I knew the rules of the game and everything. And I, uh, I played a bunch of doubles tournaments and stuff like that in like Southern Oregon. So I had just got lucky to get in with a good group that kind of showed you the ropes and taught you like how to play the game correctly and taught you like what to expect and everything. So I don't know for me personally, if there was a whole lot on the amateur level that I wish I had learned. Um, I kind of took just a different route to learning the ropes than a lot of people do. Um, but I would say one of the advantages to doing it how I did was I just immediately played with players that were better than me. Yeah. And I was young and I was competitive and still competitive, obviously, but um, it gave me goals to strive for. Um, and it gave me people to look up to, to be like, I'm going to be as good as this guy. And then I'm going to be as good as this guy. And after a while, I was like, I'm going to be as good as Nate Sexton is because, you know, he was kind of the top dog in the Northwest at that time. And then uh, in 2012, I think I picked up my first one with him and Dion Arlen in the field. And it was like, okay. Like now I know what I can do. So how do I do this consistently? So I just kind of, yeah, my, my story was a little different than maybe some others, but I don't kind of regret the way that I did it because that's competitive wise kind of who I am. Well, sure. And you may, you're here now and doing great things. So that's, that's great. Uh, doesn't, sometimes doesn't matter how you start. It's kind of how, how you get it, go, keep going. So that's great. So you did, let's, let's talk a little bit because I brought you on because I know you're very experienced and you played a lot of tournaments. And so, uh, I kind of wanted to get your take on, uh, the Waco, uh, that we just had that weekend, um, kind of get your take on how the event went as a whole and kind of as a player. So let's start with the event as a whole, because I don't think there's many events in the country that are run as well as Waco. Um, communication is really good. We know what the course is, right? Like I really like the course. Some people it's not their cup of tea because it's tight wooded shots. And like, I understand that. Um, and camera wise, like it can be tricky spectator wise. It can be a little tricky, but as, um, a whole, that tournament does an excellent job in terms of like things flow smoothly. Everything we need on the course is in place. There's no questions about rules and that kind of stuff. Like they do a really good job in Ryan Draper's the TV who's done it for a long time, does a really good job of just making sure that we know what's going on. Um, so if you ever get the chance to play in the Waco presented by Prodigy, I think it was this year, they change the name all the time, but what's usually the Waco annual charity open. Um, it's like a no brainer for me because the venue's great. The course is so much fun. Um, yeah. And the warm up area is a little suspect. Like yeah. if we had to break down anything, there's like no warm up space. Um, but there's another course that's five minutes away that we can use, but yeah, overall, I really like the tournament. I really like what they do with it. The fly Mart on Saturday night is super cool. We went and hung out and I didn't have anything to vend or sell just because I didn't like fly product down to Waco. So I could do that, but we hung out and watched like the other players interact with fans and, you know, signed a couple autographs and that kind of stuff. But yeah, overall Waco just from like start of the week to end of the week is top tier. 
Yeah. Yeah. I've always enjoyed going out there for the events, but some of the, I guess you could call it growing pains that you mentioned is that, you know, it's, we've got this called pro tour doing the stuff and this is, you know, an elite series or an elite event. But then you mentioned the practice area where it's kind of rough. I mean, we're not trying to, I understand they're doing what they can with what they have. And I think they understand that they're outgrowing it. I mean, I've talked to a few of the guys that were running the event and they understand that they're outgrowing uh, the sport as far as an elite event. But like, what are some of the other things that you think that, uh, and, I, and then I hear the reasoning about behind uh, like adding another course or next year is going to be on a different course. Um, are you excited about that? Does that make it more challenging? Does it kind of take away from it? I hope not. I like that course a lot. And I know that like in terms of getting spectators and stuff, you can't get the most on there, but I've been a little outspoken about this before. I feel like the disc golf pro tour at times has turned into just a pure distance competition Mm -hmm. and it's kind of phasing out some of the skilled shots to the game that Waco provides. So I would be very disappointed if like they took this course completely off of the pro tour, just because I think it gives us a unique challenge. We played Vegas the first week and that's essentially a wide open golf course, like business competition this week in Austin's a brand new course, but you'll see when we get to coverage, it's kind of a wide open distance competition. Like maybe not just in pure distance of holes, but in like the style of shots you throw and obviously throwing for power is something that we all have to do, but we could just provide so many unique challenges and so many angles of shots and, everything that I really hope they consider keeping it on the schedule for my personal take, just because it provides us with something that we don't get to play for the first half of the year. It seems like the whole West coast and even like a champions cups, obviously a little different, but even Jones row and stuff, they're just these wide open courses where it's just throw distance driver, throw distance driver, throw distance driver. And Waco provides us with the opportunity to like play what disc golf has been traditionally, instead of just like the open field, throw it as far as you can type of course. Yeah. Another thing that I noticed uh, about it is that, um, I mean, there are some holes that are definitely score separators, but, it, but like at one point, I think they, they said on the live covers, there was, uh, I want to say 15 or 16 people that were like only one or two strokes out of the lead. Does that make it more exciting or less exciting when there, when there's, I mean, I guess I get it. It's exciting. You have so yeah. many people contending, but it's almost like, I mean, I mean, at one point they were like, are we going to have a five person playoff? You know, it was kind of like that thing going down the stretch. Yeah. I mean, let's, there's, there's two ways to look at this, right? Is it more exciting because more people are in it? Absolutely. And is it more exciting because you don't really know who's going to win Waco going into it? And it has a different winner pretty much every year. I know Jeremy won it back to back a few years ago, but this is like, any of us can win at Waco. And as a player, that's super refreshing. Like there is definitely, I'll be real. There's definitely some courses that we go to. Like let's, let's take toboggan and Deglo, for example. Like I throw the disc 500 feet. I can't win out there. Like if I have a good weekend, it's going to be 10th or 15th or something. But realistically, like just the power that you have to throw, like for the longevity of that tournament and everything, it caters really to that top, like to one or 2% distance throws. So for Waco, it has to be more exciting. And what's like, what's better as a spectator, and a tournament coming down the stretch where Kyle's hitting these huge putts and Adam's hitting these huge putts. And then, you know, Calvin misses one and now you think he's out of it, but then all of a sudden he's back in it. And like, then that 15th or 18th stretch at Waco, you can say what you want about the woods and whether they separate or not. But when you get to 15, 16, 17 and 18, three of those four holes are huge separator holes. We see people take everything, the rare two on 15, but you see a lot of pars, you see a lot of bogeys and you see doubles come in and let's not be, 
you know, Kyle's drive was out of bounds and went back under the fence, which was yes, that was crazy. crazy, right? Like totally crazy. I've seen it happen before. I went under the fence the wrong way two years ago, and in my car we were in like fifth, sixth, seventh car. I don't know what we were on. Colton Montgomery threw the same shot as the second shot went under the fence and came back in. So I've seen it happen before, but that 15, 17, 18 set of holes is like, there's not a more exciting three out of four coming down the stretch because anything can happen on those holes. Yeah. So what, so something happened uh, the day before, right? Where they misplayed that someone actually threw that same shot and misplayed it. So it was on the FPO side. I think I saw like part of it, if this is what you're talking about, and I don't even remember who the the um, ladies were, yeah. but somebody thought their disc went out of bounds and dropped and played it like from the side of the fence and then got up there and realized the disc either like, hadn't flown out of bounds or went back under the fence and was safe. And then it was a big thing with like having the rules officials come over and everything. Okay. Um, and then I know like the TV was over there and uh, Robert Leonard from the PDGA was over there, I think. And it was just like, I think they got it right after the misplay and they like finished the hole correctly, including the misplay. But yeah, it was one of those things that like in Kyle's situation, there's a thousand spectators or whatever there is watching, but for that FPO card, there wasn't. And someone came back and bound. So it is kind of a weird thing. And I kind of wish you couldn't get under the fence. I don't know if they need to put like the pro tour walls or something up yeah. on the side of the fence, but yeah, that, that hole. And then 17, 18, like Kyle shot on 18. The fact that he birdied 17 and 18, like to win this course continues to give us those huge moments down the stretch. Like look what happened on the FPO side with Kristen kind of stealing the win late. And then um, on the MPO side over the last few years, like that putt that Nico hit a couple years ago on 17 with water on the left. Like if it gets windy on that green and you miss, it can blow into the water. The second shot's scary. The first shot's got to be in perfect position. So like, I don't know if there's a better, like, closing stretch of holes 16s whatever like we all should birdie it but 15 the 15 17 18 stretches like there's nothing more exciting than those three holes on a course yeah definitely we did not disappoint this year as it always had for every year out there at waco okay so you mentioned at the top that uh now you're headed to uh austin right the austin uh what's the open at austin Austin, i think it is yeah so tell us a little bit about what your game plan is going in there knowing the course well, we got here yesterday. To, today's Tuesday night. Um, or if you're listening to this, not live. Um, today's Tuesday night, week of the tournament. We got in yesterday and kind of quickly walked the course. But generally, we'll take a lot of us take Mondays as kind of rest days. It's something that um, I was told a while ago is like, hey, you work weekends. Make sure you take a day off. And like mm-hmm. Monday's usually that day off. But when they stack elite series events back to back, sometimes you don't get that Monday off so to say. And this time we went went out and walked the course and it's a much different facility. It's a much different kind of type of golf. Um, It's more wide open for sure. There's a lot out of bounds. There's some mandos that are in play. There's not really like water, so to say. There's one creek river thing that goes through the course, but it's pretty low and it's just not really in play on any of the shots the way they have the layout set up so we're not really worried about losing discs there's some thick rough because it's texas if you get off the fairways but most of those excuse me most of those areas are ob lined anyway so this week's going to be about setting a game plan figuring out what holds you want to attack what holds you can attack like if you have an elite sidearm this week i think you're in pretty good shape 
Um, if you don't have like that 400 to 450 foot sidearm, you're going to be picking some holes where you're like, what are my odds? Like, do I need to be playing a little short here? And then just, you know, trying to go par, par, par over the three rounds. Like, is that going to be my best scoring for the weekend? And honestly, on some of them, that's yes. Like that is for me personally, like I throw my sidearm 370, maybe Um, there's definitely holes where I'm going to need to play short and, you know, be a professional disc golfer, right? (laughs) Yes. You got to play professionally sometimes. And, you know, Waco sets up pretty well for my game. This course is a little different. Um, so I'm going to have to go into this one with much more of a game plan where at Waco, I can kind of be like, yeah, I can throw every shot. Like I just need to feel my way through the course and how it's feeling that day is what I'll go with. But I think this will be one of the tournaments that I like, maybe write out a game plan for and stick to it no matter what's going on. Nice. And that's just the one course, right? Or at the, in Austin, right? Yeah. It's at a golf course facility that is the Harvey Pennick golf course there might be a little different title to it. Um, I know they use it for a lot of first tee stuff, which is like the junior PGA program. Cause there's a bunch of kids out there doing golf camps over spring break right now. So that's honestly kind of cool to see. Like there must've been 75 kids out there today on the range hitting golf balls or, putting, oh, wow. you know, coaches catching or teaching them and stuff. So kind of cool. Um, I don't mind sharing the facility with kids. You know, my background comes from the youth development kind of side of things before disc golf. So anytime I see kids out enjoying golf or disc golf, like that was pretty cool. And when I was leaving the course today, I saw Kevin and James and I'm a, I don't even know who else was over there. There was definitely some other pros that had it set up and there was uh, disc golf baskets and the kids that were in the actual golf camp were over getting exposure to disc golf and getting the putt and everything. So That's I don't cool. know who specifically set that up. Didn't even know it was happening, but as we were coming off the course, like that was a cool thing to see the kids were already on the facility. Let's give them access to a little bit of disc golf so they can see what we're doing out there that week. Nice. Well, someone sent in a question on the live real quick and it kind of plays into what you said as far as you guys work the weekend. So you need to take some time off. So yeah. uh, for our listeners, they have quote unquote regular jobs and disc golf is their outlet. So if for someone who disc golf is their profession and is their weekend job, what, what do you do as an outlet? Um, you know, uh, I think for me, a lot of it is these weeks we're on the road full time. It's harder to find true outlets. Um, just make sure that you're not overdoing it. If you're, the 20 year old kid, like maybe you can play two rounds in a day and everything for me, I need to make sure my, my practice is targeted and I'm taking care of my body, whether that's doing some light lifting at night and that kind of stuff to be ready. But, um, I know a huge part of being like successful in the game for me is making sure that I have that separation from disc golf when it's time to focus on practice. And when it's time to focus on playing, like that's where my mind is and everything. But when I'm at home, um, like I'm sure my wife, Kaylee, she should tell you like we don't do much disc golf or watch much disc golf or anything we're at home like when i'm there i try to be present in that situation and i try to have some other hobbies like when i'm home in the summer play softball or you know whatever play golf when i can get out and have some other hobbies and activities that can take my mind off of always being competitive in disc golf and just trying to find the joy in other things in life too whether that's in you know our marriage or whether it's on a golf course because that's was what I did before disc golf or playing ball in the summer with the guys or whatever, just, just finding other outlets to take some of that energy and put it towards. So it's not all disc golf all the time. And I think it's really important to do so. Yeah, I think so too, as well. Um, for me, just, uh, I'm sure our listeners know is pickleball. Pickleball is my, 
<laughs> pickleball is my escape where I don't have to think about anything else, uh, disc golf or work-wise. I just think about hitting the ball and playing well at pickleball. And it seems to be catching on big, right? You see a lot of tour players that are playing pickleball and bringing their paddles or rackets or whatever on the road with them at this point too. So yeah, something that, you know, you see a lot of the pros starting to pick up. Yeah. All right. Well, let's head to the questions and this will be great for you because, um, that's what you do. You like to teach disc golf. So we had a few people send in some questions and guys, if you, a long time listener, the question form is back open officially. So if you want to go to uh you'll see a little link there that says submit a written question and we still have the speak pipe so you can send in voicemails as well. But we have a couple of questions. This one's from Dan. He says, what is a brace and how do I improve it? What is a brace? Yeah, I'm not sure what he's talking about. I'm not sure. Mm. I mean, we might need a little more, uh, yeah, a little more, more detail on what on he that. means there. Yeah. I mean, yeah, a that's... brace is not something that I, it's necessarily like the terminology that I teach or anything. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. Maybe someone Hopefully, on YouTube. Maybe we can... get a little more context. Yeah, yeah, maybe someone on YouTube or Facebook has heard of the term brace and can break it down for us. All right, next I'm glad one you is... had neither because I haven't. Yeah. <laughs> This one's from Yelty, uh, Team Clash US, or no, from Canada. Or, yeah, he's out of Canada, right? Uh-oh, now he's going to be mad at me because I don't remember where he's from. <laughs> anyway, he's on. He's an ambassador on Clash Discs. So he says, uh, for the players on which uh, which Clash Discs are you relying on the most? So yeah, what, what from Clash Discs are some discs that you're throwing? Yeah, if you have uh, kind of follow <laughs> any of my Instagram or my TikTok or any of my stories and stuff, um, I'll do a lot of posting about like what discs I'm throwing in specific tournaments, specifically from Clash. This week out here, the course is big and open. I think I have four Clash molds in my bag that I plan on throwing quite a bit. Um, the salt's in my bag this week because I definitely need that like long range distance driver that I can kind of get to glide to the right. The pepper is in my bag because if you've ever thrown the pepper and we're in Texas, no matter what the wind's doing, the pepper can hold up to us, whether that's sidearm or like little utility shots. If you're in trouble, spike hyzers, um, I'm throwing that thing a lot just in terms of being able to control distance and kind of fight the wind. And then the cookie, um, you know, my favorite fairway driver from Clash for sure. Um, probably maybe one of my favorite fairway drivers, period, that I've ever thrown. Um, and it's in that like 330 to 370 or 380 slot where I'm just able to hammer a backhand and it goes straight and then it dumps left. So that's one that I definitely throw quite a bit, especially on these open courses. And then the berry is obviously the straight mid range or like a little overstable, the one that's in my bag right now. So when we're throwing it through tunnels and stuff at Waco, I was throwing the berry quite a bit out here is probably going to be reserved for one or two holes because the more wind that we get, especially in an open golf course like this, I'll go a little more overstable uh, mid range wise. I haven't put the mango in the bag for this week, but I've got one that's back there. So if it does get in my, in my car and my little spare bag. So if it does get really windy, that might be the fifth mold that makes an appearance. If you've been looking to try some class discs or just want to stock up on some of your favorite class discs, make sure you grab a great deal out at classdiscfactory.com. That's where they're sending me misprints and I'm listing them on that website so that you can grab some great deals on some misprints from the wild honey, mango, berry and i just listed some softy mint softy butter and softy popcorn they are so good people are really loving the feel of the softy plastic so head on out to clashdiscsfactory.com and grab some great deals on some clash disc misprints so that kind of brings up an observation and i want to ask you and and 
kind of answer some questions for people that watch the coverage from the Vegas challenge. And a lot of people were like, a lot of class fans were obviously very excited to have you and Proctor on the coverage. But then a lot of, some people said, man, they sure don't throw a lot of class discs. And I, and to be honest, at first it was kind of like, oh man, that is true. They're not really thrown. But then, then again, I have to remember that it's all new for you guys. So I know, and even James, because I was working on the video that we did in uh, in Vegas, the practice round that you had you and James on there. I was always working on that video. And one of the things that James mentioned was he's still getting used to these discs. He's still, you know... He's still learning the discs. I mean, you guys just started touring, and so I would imagine it's like, in a, and we want you guys to succeed. So it's like you have the discs that you trust, and you'll kind of filter in some of the the class discs as you get to know them. So kind of talk about that as far as like trying new discs and put, taking on new discs. How it's not just simply grabbing a disc and it becoming something in your bag, but something you kind of have to get yeah. used to. Yeah, the process of like the open bag thing from clash and how much they have taken like a player first approach to you go be good. And then we're going to make plastic. That's so good. You can't keep it out of your bag. And with the balls that I have in my bag, that's hundred percent what it is. Um, it's obviously course dependent too. We went out to Vegas and I know James and I are still getting used to, um, what like the clash lineup is. And we're definitely throwing some of our older stuff mixed in with some clash stuff as well but the conditions are so different. I got to practice quite a bit over the winter with the clash stuff, but living in the Northwest, I practiced in the cold every day, but not the wind. So then we get out there and it's like, Hey, I didn't even know I was going to carry the pepper. Like to me, the pepper was one of those utility discs. I was like, Oh, I might need this in a special situation or something. Then all of a sudden we get out to Vegas and I'm like, this has to be in my bag because this is the most stable thing I have that like can fight the wind. It's a constant learning curve, I would say. And uh, you're going to see us throw more and more and more as the year goes. But remember, we're only two months in right. to being able to do this. And then, you know, trying to play at the competitive level all winter, like I do on the local scene, just to try to stay fresh. Um, you'll work some of this stuff in, but then everything we play in the wintertime is shorter courses, more technical stuff. Um, you know, those winter C tiers. <laughs> that you kind of grind out um, and then we get to Vegas and it's wide open. So it's just a, a different situation about learning to trust all those discs in your bag um, in all the conditions that you're going to see, whether it's hot or cold out, whether it's windy, whether it's not what the courses look like, whether it's Waco where I threw a lot more flash discs than I did in Vegas, just because I could throw like that cookie and the berry on specific holes. And like, even in practice, I was like kind of leaning on a mix of stuff. And then I got in the tournament and I was like, man, I can really use these. Like this is the right disc for this shot. So we're just kind of figuring out what totally works for us. And I think if, if James and I both make the lead card in September at worlds, like you're probably going to see a little bit different variety of discs being thrown. Um, and what we really will trust and put that faith in because three, four weeks down the road from Vegas. And I've got a lot more class stuff being thrown than I was a month ago. And, you know, but the the support from the company has been unbelievable with us. Like, Hey, throw what you need to throw to be successful. And then we're going to bounce ideas off of you and we will make you the equipment that you need. Basically just yeah. give us a little bit of time to kind of figure it out. And literally, like, I think it was the day after the last round at, at Vegas challenge, we have a Facebook messenger group chat thing where I stay in contact with the players so I can meet up with them to do media and stuff like that. But yeah. you know, Raul or Randy was on there as well. And he was like, Hey guys, what 
disc do you need? What are you looking for? What are you thinking you need? And they are already getting feedback from the players so that, like they said, if you don't have a disc that you need for a certain event or a certain type of shot, let us know so we can make that disc. Um, and then, like you said, by September, I would assume by that time, we're going to have at least three or four more molds out there because the, the, uh, the plan is to have about eight molds out by the end of 2023. So uh, super exciting there. So someone actually chimed in on Dan's question about brace. Nathan okay. says, I think he's talking about bracing with the front foot or planting the front foot during the throw. Okay, I mean, front foot positioning, like, for me, is just making sure, like, when you are fully reached back and you start to come forward when that front foot's hitting the ground, for me, my focus is making sure that I go heel to toe on the spin, and you'll see some players do it. But that kind of allows me to, like, open that right hip up and – uh, Bobby and I actually did a little bit of filming mm-hmm. with some promotional stuff that'll be out eventually yep. um, of talking about like being able to clear the right side and get from this full reach back position all the way through a straight pull through across your chest. But starting that with kind of your right hip popping out, just like rotating before everything else. And that helps you to engage the big core muscles, your back, your abs, your kind of your legs, your glutes and stuff to be able to use the power muscles in your body to create speed. Well, for me, when that right foot plants, I need to land on my heel and then just like completely turn onto my front toe to get that weight transfer completely through. So I would say like that front foot position for me, right when I start pulling through that foot hits and you can't even see it obviously, because we're only on a half body (laughs) webcam right now, but um, just timing it up from that pull through landing in your heel turning in your toe and making sure that your body follows all the way through um, without the follow through, you're obviously not creating that much speed. So yeah, to me like front foot positioning and timing just needs to align with when you're kind of in that power pocket, pulling straight through, leading with the elbow, throwing the disc out in front of the body and then making sure you follow through from heel to toe yeah. kind of on release. Yeah. And like Scott said, we did some filming, some form and technique videos that you'll see on Clastic's YouTube channel. And then eventually as reels and things, short form videos on Instagram and Facebook. Uh, Anthony Taylor from uh, Clash Disc Ambassador Team, he says cookie is money. So he likes the cookie. And and it's interesting you brought that up again. Like I was saying, I was uh, editing today. Uh, the video that you and James did, and there was that section where you guys are throwing the cookie and parked it on hole 15, I think it was. So you'll see uh, the cookie in action on that video. Um, Nathan also wants to know if you could put together a beginner clash bag, what would you assemble? So what? What give, give us give us the top three discs that a beginner should grab from clash. Yeah, so uh, let's let's pretend someone in the beginning category has like 350 feet or less of power. Okay. Um, so distance driver wise because everyone wants to grab the fast disc that throws far. The wild honey is something that is very easy to throw, has a ton of glide and is like max distance. Or if you have a little more power than that, it's a really cool distance roller disc. Um, we've kind of played some courses early in the year where there's no rollers. Like Vegas, you throw a roller, it could go anywhere. And then Waco, obviously you're not throwing any. So a uh, long distance roller disc hasn't been in my bag for these courses, but that wild honey I've heard um, from players with just that little less power, like that 350 and below power, how much extra distance and extra glide they get out of that. So I would highly recommend that. And I think you'll kind of hear that echoed. I also heard that that was maybe Clash's best-selling disc. Um, So there's a reason for that. Yeah. And then fairway driver-wise, the soda 
um, is kind of, I think can be used by that second tier of power. Like that, if you're the beginning power player, I think it can be used a lot. Like I use the cookie where you can throw it off flat or on a little bit of hyzer and it'll push forward and then it'll glide a little bit left. But if you throw it hard, you might be able to get a little turn to the right out of it. Um, and then the two other ones that I would say, like, get yourself a berry, because mm-hmm. if you can learn to throw the berry, you can learn to throw pretty much any shot in the game. You want to throw it dead flat and let it go straight and let it just fade a little left at the end. It's a shot that we all need to have. And maybe if you're a beginning player, it's got a little more stability for you, but you're still able to throw it. It feels really comfortable in the hand. And it's that true, like five speed disc that we really need as a mid. And then if you are one that enjoys throwing putters, the popcorn is so dead straight. Um, it is a little bit to me, like I prefer beaded putters and I know we'll eventually get one kind of what I'm throwing. But if you like that beadless putter kind of low profile for throwing, it feels really comfortable in the hand. They go dead straight. I've watched some of the other guys throw them and they just put them up in the air and just watch them glide and glide and glide and really not do anything except go to the ground. So the four things that I would say, if you're brand, like if you're a newer player or you're someone that's maybe like, 950 or below rating wise, get yourself the wild honey, the soda, and then absolutely you have to get a berry and then grab that popcorn as a throwing putter. Excellent. All right. So as we mentioned, you do teach uh, people how to play better disc golf. Um, I was wondering, I I think I kind of asked you this before while we were together, but I thought it'd be great for the show is... um, well, no. Well, let me ask you this one question first, because I saw this and I thought this was a great question. How do you know if you're throwing the disc hard enough? Oh, that's a good question. Yeah. Um, well, one, if you're playing with all your friends and they continue to tell you you need to throw it harder, you probably need <laughs> to put a little more effort into it. Um, I'll, I'll do lessons with people and some people go out there and just try to rip it as hard as they can. You're like, okay, let's tone it back to 80%. And other people just go through like a slow motion. Like, let's try to get the form right. And I'm throwing it so slow there's almost some, you got to throw it and then you can kind of learn control too. But the distance and control in our game, they're weird because for some people distance comes first and you spray it all over the place. Mm -hmm. And for other players, you really develop that form and then add distance slowly with it. I don't know if there's a right or a wrong answer, but I would say if you feel like you're throwing it a hundred percent, every time you're throwing it too hard, if you feel like you are throwing it 50 or 60% every time you're trying, probably throwing it too soft. So try to find that like 75 to 80% of max power on just your like open field distance shots obviously you can adjust it a little bit if you're in the woods or whatever for accuracy purposes but you don't need to be throwing to make yourself sore like if you throw 10 shots and your body's like god i'm tired why am i throwing this hard that's too much but at the same time if you can throw 500 backhands in a day without being a little tired at the end of the day like you're probably not rolling hard enough so find that like 75 to 80 percent power zone i would say and that's kind of the sweet spot for accuracy and distance as opposed to just like reaching back as far as you can every time and trying to create as much speed as possible because you're going to lose all form it's going to break down and you're truly going to throw the disc farther anyways at like that 75 or 80 percent level than you are trying to just kill it every time yeah would it be safe to say don't try to throw to the speed to to don't don't try to throw to a speed 12 disc. Don't try to throw. So you're right. If you can't get a speed 12 disc to fly correctly, then you need to disc down basically. Don't, don't, yeah. Don't throw a hundred percent. Yeah. Just to make that speed 12 disc do something. 
A hundred percent. If you are new to the game and you have these wide rim discs, because that's what you see all your favorite pros throw and stuff, and you're not able to get them to move straight at all, club it down, learn to throw that mid range, learn to throw that fairway driver. And, you know, no matter what manufacturers discs you have, obviously we're going to say, go get the cookie and the soda and the berry. But the truth is, if you don't have access to those, they're not in your bag or whatever, like find whatever fairway driver and mid works for you that is dead straight that has that zero turn, zero fade or zero turn one fade or something at the end and learn to throw those because all it's going to do is help your form. And the more you help yourself with that, throwing at 75% power, then the more you're going to be able to eventually translate that into faster discs. Yeah. All right. So back to what I was originally going to ask you as someone that teaches disc golf, what are the top questions you get when you first meet a student? Yeah, I think there's okay. The question that I should get every time that we don't get every time is how do I score better? Right. <laughs> we don't get that question ever. No one ever asks that. How do I score better? Yeah. But when you're taking a lesson or you're working on your game, like the true purpose is how do I score better? Like I want to be better at disc golf. That's why I'm paying for this lesson. The question that you get most often, and I stop them every single time is I want to throw farther. Yeah. I want to throw farther. I want to throw farther. I want to throw farther. I would have bet a thousand dollars that that yeah. was going to be your answer. <laughs> yeah. And I'll sometimes I'll stop them and say, you don't want to throw farther. You want to throw better. Right. There's a difference, right? You want to be more efficient with the movements and you want the disc to go where you're aiming. Now, 500 foot holes aren't attainable for everyone. Like we're, we were talking about that this week with some of the holes that are out here at the open at Austin. Like there's a few holes that I'm going to lay up probably on because there's a sidearm that's just out of my range. Now, could I go to Eagle McMahon and say, Hey, teach me how to throw forehand farther. Maybe, but I'm also 36 years old and I'm not just six foot five. Like I don't have a ton of those forehands in me every Mm -hmm. week. So there's personal limitations that we're all going to have. You want to learn to throw better, not necessarily learn to throw farther. And then they'll all kind of mix together. But that's the most asked question. Like when, cause I'll always start like, Hey, what is the goal of this lesson? Like, what do you want to get out of it? And if they say, well, I want to throw farther. I usually stop and I'm like, no, let's, you kind of laugh about it and make a joke of it. But you're like, no, you want to throw better, not farther because throwing better and throwing cleaner with better form eventually will lead you to to greater distance too. So that would be, that was kind of my follow-up in contrast to what they ask. What do you actually teach them? What do you actually, um, and that sounds like mm-hmm. to throw better. Um, and so yeah. do you, do you typically, when you do, do you do uh, one lesson or is it like two week lessons, three week lessons, or how does it usually break down? So it'll kind of be up to the player. Um, the more time I, I would prefer players kind of sign up for a three, three lesson set so to say, where we do an hour worth of field work each time, and then we do a playing lesson each time. So what that kind of gets me to is one, we can do an hour worth worth of form work in the field. And I'll bring a ton of discs with me when I do this. Like I'll bring all kinds of straight mid ranges. I have, I don't know, 10 or 15 berries. I'll bring a ton of buzzes because that's what I was throwing before. Like I just bring a bunch of these mids out to the field and I don't even let them touch drivers until they pull their own discs out at the end of the field work session. Really? Um, and that's because we're working on that straight pullback, the maximum extension, pulling back into the pocket, going straight across the chest and making sure when you turn through your shoulders, stay flat with the follow through. We can do that with mid, these straight mid ranges like the berry because they give you that immediate feedback with the angle that you release them. So during that first lesson, we don't even touch drivers in the field. But then we'll go to a course and we work on this part of the game, right? We work on being realistic about the things that you can do in the course and we work at aiming points. 
Um, so, so often I'll get a new player on the tee. I'm like, where are you aiming at? And they're like, I'm aiming at the basket. I'm like, okay, are you going to throw this, this dead straight where it's never going to leave a line? Yeah. And they're like, no, it's going to go left. I'm like, then why is your target the basket? Like you need mm. to pick a tree off in the distance that you want to start that disc at. And then you need to project and learn how far left that's going to go when you throw it. And that kind of gives you, it's just a little, little portion of the mental game that we can work on when we're doing the actual playing of a round after an hour of field work. Gotcha. And what's, and what we do that three times, obviously that's best. What would you say as far as putting, what is like the biggest mistake that you see beginners make? Um, not fully extending their arm forward yeah. when you putt. And that's not just a beginner thing. That's probably a you and me thing too. <laughs> <laughs> like, let's be real. The easiest thing to get feedback on is if you don't like, reach for the pole at the end of the putt you can't expect that this to ever get over the rim so it's a pretty easy thing to fix a lot of times people want to jam the putt in so bad they start leaning forward and like their arm never comes up to chest high after release and then that putter doesn't get over the cage so i would say like that's the most common thing that i see i don't mess with people's putting styles a ton though because we all have different ones really like my putting style is not perfect your putting style is probably not perfect yeah like james is a great putter but he puts so much different than i do like it just is what it is if you're a spin putter or you're a push putter stick with it just make sure that you're extending that arm straight at the basket and you're fully reaching forward at the end of your putt because if you do that it's got a chance to go in if you're stubbing your arm short or your arms going from left to right and pulling across you're going to get immediate feedback kind of to yourself on how you're missing but just you know do a little video work and be realistic about what your arm's doing and how it looks so you can kind of fix it. Excellent. All right, Scott. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. Appreciate your knowledge and appreciate your feedback on the courses and, and stuff like that. So, but I'll let you get back to getting ready for the event. The event starts, let's see, today's Tuesday. Does the actual event Thursday or Friday? It's on Friday. It's just a three day tournament this a week. Three day so. tournament event. And then what happens after the uh, open at Austin? Um, some people are going to Texas States for a silver series event. Mm. I am going to fly home for a couple of weeks, play a local event or two, and then fly back out to Nashville. So I'm playing most of the elite series events and the, and going home for a lot of the silver series weekends, just so I can kind of, you know, juggle both lives at one time, but yeah, I'm flying back home Monday and then play a couple local things and be out for the next elite series event in Nashville in early April. All right. Before I let you go, I did have someone that I want don't want to leave them out that I posted on the class disc fan community and they did ask a question. Okay. <clears throat> Let's see. Uh Nate Sexton mentioned Scott Withers might have beaten or tied two of his course records here in Oregon. Does he know which and the scores and how many course records does Scott think he has? Mm. I don't know how many course records I have. I could take some guesses, but then it kind of gets tricky with like layouts right. and where baskets are. And if it was a tournament or if it was not a tournament, I can tell you the ones that I know that I tied Nate because they were his home courses growing up. So he's a little salty about it still. <laughs> um, Adair Park is about 15 minutes from my house now. And it was about 10 minutes from where Nate grew up. Um, and I think we both have 16 unders at that course, which is it. it a good score at that course like those were really hot rounds and then Willamette Park was the course where Nate actually learned how to play which is in Corvallis Oregon um he used to play ultimate and then they would like practice in the fields and then he'd go out with his parents and play 
Willamette Park a couple years ago, I shot an 1104 round out there, which was 16 under 17. I think it was 16 under, maybe 17. Um, but that tied or broke his his recreational record out there, but I mm. happened to do it in a tournament that was on video. So that was pretty cool to have a local 1100 rated round. That's on cool. Tournament. So, That's awesome. And then, yeah, the only other one I know that I have for sure, uh, I get two more Bryant parks, my home course in Albany, and I'm sure I have that one at like 15 or 16 under. And then Whistler's Bend is a very famous course in Southern Oregon. It's 27 hole layout. And I know in a practice run one time, I put up like a 19 under or something. It was just maybe Whoa. the best round I've ever played. Uh, yeah. And that course is hard. Like there's no tricks. I just was hot for one day and was just making every putt. And it was a casual round that we were just messing around and stuff. It's a couple hours south of my house. But I think those are the course records that I know I have. I I'm sure I have a couple more. Um, one up in Canada at the BC open at Raptors Knoll and my buddy, Stuart McIsaac, who is a master's player texted me about a week ago and played a wintertime C tier up there and goes, Hey, I just tied your course record. And I was like, God, dang it Stuart. I gotta come fix that um, but yeah that was I don't know those are the ones that kind of stand out that's cool and then uh, Zach wants to know how is course design coming do you have another one do you have one opening up soon I don't have anything in progress right now there's a couple that I've talked to um, talked to some people about in the Oregon area but nothing's kind of been finalized I worked on one at a tribal uh, property, like a Native American tribal property, a year or two ago, and then some of the land kind of fell out from under us at the mm. last minute. So they ended up putting in like a nine-hole course, but we had a really sweet 18 design, and then it went to some other things, kind of went through like their council and stuff and ended up losing some of the land. So I put a bunch of work into one, and then it ended up kind of ending up having a course, but not not to the extent that we were hoping kind of it would end up but yeah i don't i don't have any big course design projects going right now between running tournaments and being on the road all the time it's a pretty full-time gig currently yeah sounds like it so what events do you have that you're going to be part of as far as uh helping out yeah we have i've got a couple b tiers coming up um in early april at my home courses at adair and then i kind of help run or run a 10 event winter series through southern oregon all winter that's wrapping up so i do a lot with that and then we have i have an a tier at for the north umqua invitational that my buddy zach jones is technically the tournament director of um but that is something we've ran together for years he's a td um technically this year because his tds can't play and i would like to be able to play in an a tier um and then running a huge doubles event which is about i want to say it's like 150 teams um, at Whistler's Bend also. And then Jeff Corns and I are running the Cascade Challenge Silver Series event um, up at Shelton Springs. Nice. And that is Memorial Day weekend. So that is a, yeah, Pro Tour Silver Series event. It's the second Silver Series event that we have run. So that's kind of what's on the docket of A tier, huge non-sanctioned double sing, couple B tiers and a silver series event all in like the next three months. So life's about to get real busy. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Running events is no joke for sure. All right. So how can people follow you, Scott, when they want, if they want to follow your journey? Yeah, absolutely. Um, the easiest way is just on Instagram and TikTok. Both of them are withers underscore disc golf. I would just hugely appreciate follows. I consistently post content with discs and highlights of throwing and that kind of stuff. 
Um, that's probably the best way. And then obviously just making sure you follow the Clash website because Bobby is on the road a ton with us, helping us to promote not only Clash, but ourselves and kind of grow our own personal brands and stuff too. So yeah, withers underscore disc golf for my personal stuff. And then make sure you're following all the Clash stuff and all Bobby's stuff because that's a big part of what we're doing. All right. Sounds good. Thanks again, Scott. Appreciate and good luck to you this weekend. Absolutely. Talk to you guys soon. Thank you.